Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 8, verse 26 uh, through 39. We're just going to jump right in there, okay? So I'm just going to start reading, and I hope you have your Bible and you can follow me. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. Very important passage. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerizines, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on the land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man whom, from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerizines asked him to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. And the man from whom the demons had gone begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Lord, I just pray that you would help us through this passage of scripture this morning as we think, think through these, these words and these events that you've recorded for us. We pray that you would be our teacher, Lord, that we would have the, the enlightenment of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would give us receptive hearts and minds that we might receive from you um, what you have for us, Lord. Uh, God, we just pray that you would um, touch us uh, this morning in a way that changes our attitude and allows us to be uh, humble and submissive and, and teachable. And uh, we thank you that you do want to do that today. So we pray that you would... Do that for our good and for the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Over the years I've seen some sad cases. But this guy, uh, he has demons in him. Not just a demon, not just 
a bunch of demons, but a whole lot of demons. Uh, if you've ever been in a bad way, I'm fairly confident that you have not been worse off than this fellow. A Roman legion is estimated uh, uh, to have been in between five and 10,000 men, depending on the source that you consult. So we're talking about an entire army. Uh, I, I don't know if we're supposed to think that this man literally had thousands of demons necessarily, but the point is, is that he had a great many demons. In verse 30, when he responds to Jesus, he says, his name is Legion, for many demons had entered into him. This one man is in battle with and against an entire army of spiritual forces. It's hard to imagine someone being worse off. Now, I have no intention of making this sermon this morning a sermon about the devil, per se. In our three-year journey through the Bible, we uh, have... Uh, talked about, about Satan. Uh, we're introduced to him really on in the, in the biblical record in, in Genesis chapter 3, right, is where we get introduced to the devil. And then as we've gone through our journey through the Bible over the course of the last two years, uh, with one year remaining, uh, we also touched base on Ezekiel and uh, chapter 28 and, and Isaiah 14, where uh, we have some explanations there as to who Satan is and what he's all about. And then more recently, as we've come into the New Testament, we considered the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness um, by the devil. And that was uh, back in April. And I see that as a key passage for understanding about these matters. So I hope that you have that, that background uh, to to work with. Now, at least in our day, in this part of the world, belief in a real devil is considered by many to be archaic. It's, it's like believing in leprechauns or fairies. And um, I want to say that you wouldn't believe in uh, demons without believing in the devil, right? Um, let me ask you this. Do you believe in angels? Because that's what the devil is a fallen angel and demons are fallen angels. Uh, the, the devil was uh, an archangel, a commander of the house of heaven uh, uh, who went bad and demons are other fallen angels, angels that accompanied him in his rebellion against God. And uh, I, th I think we're all pretty aware that uh, many people don't believe in, in demons or the devil or, or in angels or in God. And uh, if you don't believe in a spiritual realm or spiritual beings, that would make you an atheistic, secular materialist. I don't want to call you names, but that's basically what you are if you don't believe in any of these things. Um, I doubt there are very many people holding those convictions watching this sermon this morning. Uh, but if you are tempted to believe that we're way too sophisticated for this kind of thing, I would suggest to you that uh, our sophistication is really just a veneer that we like to close ourselves with and it can be stripped away really, really uh, in short order. I've observed that as human beings, we're usually only ever one disaster away away from complete anarchy. And that's when our, uh, um, our smugness gets shattered by unexplainable harsh realities of life in this world. And so this isn't just a story for people living in nice houses with nice clothes and a fancy lifestyle complete with family and friends. This story is about what can happen when those things are stripped away. 
I've never been one for the whole zombie apocalypse narrative, but I tell you, I, sometimes I, in recent days I've been caused to wonder if that's not where this whole world is headed with all the craziness that we see going on around us. And I can't help but think that this guy here in our story today is meant to give us a bit of a shocking glimpse of just how bad things can get for some of us sometimes. Day after day, night after night, naked in the graveyard. Imagine what a frightful sight this guy would have been as he ran onto the beach that, that uh, day. <laughs> People had tried to restrain him. They shackled his hands and his feet. They set a guard to watch him, probably to protect himself as much as to protect uh, others. Uh, but he would break away. And it's, it's pretty ironic when you think about it. He could break those iron fetters, but he couldn't break free of the hold that these demons had on him. It would drive him. Drive him into the desert places, the deserted places, verse 29 tells us. Cutting him off from the rest of humanity and from his friends and his family. Living with the dead. Perhaps because they were the, the only people he could stand to be around. Or maybe he identified with them. Whatever the case, it was no way to live. He wasn't unlike the, the lepers that were cut off by their disease, cut off from, 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 from everyone else. Um, but at least the lepers had other lepers. This man had no one but himself and his demons. And uh, he was uh, held captive uh, with the thoughts and voices in his head that he couldn't get away from. I think people were afraid of him. And I think he was afraid of people. Uh, that kind of fear doesn't come from God, by the way. Uh, being naked will do that to you. They say, uh, they say that it's very common for people to have dreams about being naked in a public place. Um, perhaps you can testify to that. You could put it in the comments or you could not put it in the comments. But, but I wouldn't call that a dream. I'd call that a nightmare. This man was living a nightmare. Um, and people wonder about the pigs in the story and uh, how a violent and seemingly uh, senseless death of an entire herd of pigs fits into Jesus' manner and, and mission. Uh, but I, I think we're expected here to understand something, and that is that this man is living death. He was the walking dead. He was on the precipice. Let me ask you another question. Do you suppose this man had ever thought about casting himself down off of those cliffs and plunging himself to his own death. I would suggest to you that not only had he thought about those things, I believe he was relentlessly tormented by those thoughts all the time. The thought of just ending it all. That doesn't come from God either. 
death is Satan's domain in this sense. Death is not about the end of our physiological or biological existence. Death in scripture is to be cut off from God and all that is of God. It is the absence of God in our lives and therefore it is the absence of life. And in that sense, this man is a picture of all of us apart from Jesus. Take you to Ephesians chapter 2 for a moment. And then we'll get back to Luke 8 after that. But Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Alive together with Christ. Alive together with Christ. That's a powerful word cluster right there, isn't it? And so back in Luke chapter 8, when word got out to the people in the area, they went out to see what had happened. And the text says they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Alive together with Christ. Now there's a whole subject here of the relationship between the spiritual and the material, even as it relates to our, our mental state as well as our uh, physical ailments. And, and, and we don't have time to, to delve too far into that this morning, but I, I do think it's a really important for us to understand that all of life has a spiritual dimension to it a spiritual dynamic. Uh, we should not give the devil more credit than he deserves by blaming everything on him or by positing only a spiritual answer or a spiritual warfare answer to every problem. Uh, I think most of us have seen where that idea leads. But we do need to see life from a spiritual perspective. I mentioned earlier the passage that we looked at back in April where Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I pointed out when we were there studying that passage uh, the significance of that passage uh, and um, why it's such a key passage because of where it's located in the redemption narrative. And it's located, that passage of the temptation in the wilderness is located right between Jesus' inaugural public baptism, complete with a voice from heaven, identifying him as the son of God, and what followed, which is everything that Jesus uh, taught, the calling of the disciples, every miracle he did, all leading up to including and, and uh, culminating in his death upon the cross. And the point being that that passage in uh, Matthew 4, we were in Matthew 4, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, that passage frames the entire earthly mission of Jesus as a violent confrontation with the devil, right up to and including his death on the cross. Uh, could I could add just a, a note to say that 
uh, real quick that, that Satan's assault against uh, Christ doesn't stop with his death on the cross because uh, after the death uh, and resurrection of Jesus, Satan turns his attention to the church. Here's what Peter says. He says, be sober-minded, sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to, de to devour. So we don't want to go around casting the devil out of everybody or telling people that uh, the only reason they're sick is because uh, they don't have enough faith or because there's a sin in their lives or telling people to throw their prescriptions away or telling people that all they need to do is pray uh, because the letters of the apostles that follow the gospel accounts in the book of Acts, all of which are written to believers, by the way, teach us about how we are to understand and live with these realities. But neither are we to ignore the fact Neither do the letters ignore the fact that there are powers that be which exist and there's a spiritual realm that we are engaged in. Recognizing that there are, are powers that be and there are spiritual forces and there are spiritual realities. Uh, Robert Orr, writing in the American Medical Association Journal back in 2015, said this and wrote this, and I quote, There is an increasing recognition in modern Western medicine of the importance of patient spirituality in the treatment, in, in treatment and healing. Now, I say we don't have time to get into that subject a whole lot today. And the reason I say that is because there are three things in this passage this morning that I, I really want for us to think about and, uh, and focus on. The first thing is that this passage is about the authority and identity of Jesus. This passage, Luke chapter 8, uh, the story of the demoniac uh, of the Gerizines or the Gadarenes, is a, a story that is about the identity and the authority of Jesus. In a sense, you could say that one of the key takeaways from this passage is the fact that Jesus is the answer to your problem, no matter what your problem is, no matter how big your problem is, or no matter how many problems you have. And it's about the authority and identity of Jesus. And that authority includes his authority over the demonic. A few weeks back when we were looking at the Sermon on the Mount and there we learned that the defining point uh, in Jesus' teaching was his authority. That's the concluding comment that occurs at the end of uh, the book, uh, end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, the last two verses, 28 and 29. But look at Luke chapter 4, 31 and 32 with me. This, so this is four chapters previously to our current passage. Luke chapter 4, 31 and 32 says, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. So the teachings of Jesus are all about his authority. And then over in Mark chapter 2, we, we is one instance where we learn that Jesus' healing miracles were all about his demonstrations of his authority. Mark chapter 2, verse 10 to 11 says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. 
And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never saw anything like this. All Jesus' other miracles are demonstrations of his authority as well. The kids this week aren't doing this passage. They're doing the one immediately before it in Luke chapter uh, 8, which is the um, account of the calming of the storm on the Sea of Galilee as they sailed across to the other side. And uh, so the verse... Just prior to the scripture that I read, we read together earlier, which is our passage, the verse just prior to that, which is verse 28, Luke 8, 20, uh, or, uh, sorry, 25, Luke 8, 25, it says, he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? So we see the authority of Jesus, which is always connected to the identity of Jesus as the Son of God. And in our passage uh, uh, today, Jesus, uh, the, we see the demons addresses uh, himself or themselves to Jesus. And what does, what does he say? He says, what do we have to do with, uh, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And look earlier in Luke. Luke 4. Luke 4, 33, 34. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So the authority demonstrated by Jesus is presented as proof of his identity. The identity of Jesus is foundational. It's a foundational issue in scripture and for your life and mine. Uh, to put one's faith in Jesus uh, and to become his follower is to recognize him for who he is and to submit myself to his authority. I don't know how that could be overemphasized. It's, uh, it's that important. And you, uh, you have to have noticed this. If you've been with us on this biblical journey through scripture and as we've been going through the gospel accounts, you have to have noticed since we entered the New Testament how the authority of Jesus over the demonic has been a dominant theme. It's typically referenced right along with all of his many healing miracles. Um, in fact, it is considered part of his healing work. Um, again, I want, I want to get Back to Luke 8, but, but look at Matthew 4 with me. This passage just is just preceding the Sermon on the Mount. We read it uh, a few weeks back. Matthew chapter 4, 23 and 25. And he went through it all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. That's, so that's very, right in the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And the word healed is used in our text as well. If you didn't notice that in verse 36, in this text we're in, where Jesus cast the demons out of this man, we're told in verse 36 that he was healed. 
And this, of course, can lead us back all the way back into a whole discussion about the devil's role in our physical ailments and sicknesses and impairments. Uh, and there is a linkage there presented in Scripture often. Um, and, uh, and it's true that when we understand how Jesus' whole mission um, is framed as a confrontation between Satan and his demons... And the, 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 and Jesus as the Son of God, um, we can better appreciate Satan's role in all of our misfortune, whether something is physical or mental or whatever it is, because there is a spiritual dynamic to all of life. But I am not suggesting that every negative circumstance in our lives is demonic, because the Bible doesn't teach that. We have an enemy. He's a spiritual enemy. He's our enemy because he's God's enemy. The name Satan means adversary. But even with his host of demons, he is by no means God's rival. The devil is powerful and his forces are extensive, but he is very limited after all. He's a creature. He's a creation. He's limited. This is not some dualism. This is not the yin and the yang or anything like that. Even the devil, as Martin Luther said, is God's devil. The Bible doesn't indicate that, that all or even many of our illnesses or, or uh, physical disabilities require some kind of exorcism or casting out or binding of evil spirits or demons or anything of, of the sort. Uh, I think that we can recognize that there is a, a, um, a cluster uh, or a concentration of demonic activity uh, that we see in the life of Jesus and the apostles uh, because I believe it was a concentrated effort on the devil's part. Um, I hope we can realize this is a big subject. And it's also a subject that's fraught with great dangers of much misunderstanding because there is a degree of, of mystery here with regard to that overlap, that overlap between the spiritual and the material. But scriptures talk about both of these things. The same apostle, it would be the apostle Paul who talked about a thorn that was given him in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, he said, and to prevent me from becoming uh, conceited. Uh, that same apostle said to Timothy's protege, take a little wine for your stomach. We cannot deny either. We can't deny either uh, the material, circumstantial, biological, physical, biophysical aspects of our lives or the spiritual dynamic and aspects of our lives. It's not an either or scenario. It's a both and. In Peter's Sermon on the Mount, or sorry, Peter's Sermon on the Day of Pentecost, yeah. Uh, Peter's Sermon on the Day of Pentecost, he, he said uh, at one point uh, that uh, Jesus was crucified and killed by the hands of wicked men. But all through scripture, we see that behind those hands of, of um, lawless men, there are forces at work. And uh, I think uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul um, it's a well-known passage um, for Christians, I think. Paul writes, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. There are powers that be. And life is to be seen as a spiritual battle. And though our world and all of its smug veneer of sophistication might dismiss or disdain the, even the idea of a real devil and his demons, there are many people who know the reality all too well. They live with their demons. Is there hope for them? Is there hope for you? And of course there is. Because Jesus has authority over Satan and over his demons. You may be the most pathetic case you know. But there's hope for you. Because Jesus is in authority. He said in Matthew 28, after he had been crucified and rose again, he said, all authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples. Paul says, Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's how we stand against the forces of the evil one. We stand in the power and the strength and the might of Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing, and I won't take as long with the second uh, and the third thing. But the first thing I emphasize, because it's such, such an important thing to say that Jesus has authority that life has a spiritual dynamic and that Jesus has authority and power over the devil and his forces. Uh, secondly, I want to point out that as important as it is to know that Jesus' life and mission was against the devil, it is at the same time for people. Against the devil, for people. Now, I know this is a lot, but just... Stay with me here because this is an incredible passage of scripture to think about. It begins, as I mentioned, just at, after the calming of the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, where the disciples all thought they were going to perish. And they said, don't you care? And Jesus, in his actions, shows that he does care. He's against evil. He is for us. He is against the devil. He is for people. And perhaps we might be uh, thinking maybe the storm that arose on the lake that day blew them to this distant shore where our story takes place. But that's not the case. If you go back to the verse at the beginning of the passage that the kids are studying today, the storm on the lake, verse 22 begins that passage. And it says, one day he got into the boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go to the other side of the lake. So they set out. Jesus intentionally set out to the other side of the lake that day. That's the background for this encounter that we are studying. Now, Matthew's account um, of this encounter refers to the site where they landed that day as the land of the Gadarenes. And sometimes this man out of whom Jesus cast uh, the, the uh, demons is called the, the Gadarene. Uh, and um, so uh, here in our text, uh, it's referred to as the land of the Gerizines. 
And so um, the pre precise location is uncertain, but I want to show you a map that we showed you a few weeks ago when we were talking about the Sermon on the Mount and that passage that I read uh, earlier from Matthew chapter 4, just before the Sermon on the Mount, where it talks about the Decapolis, people from the uh, coming to see and hear Jesus from all over, uh, including the Decapolis. Decapolis is a Greek word which means 10 cities, and uh, uh, one of those cities, and these are to the east of the Lake of Galilee, or the Sea of Galilee, and uh, one of those ten cities was a city named um, uh, Gadara, from which we get the word Gadarene. And uh, Gadara was located about six miles from the eastern uh, shoreline. And then there was also another city called uh, Gerasa, which was also one of the ten cities. And uh, it was even, an even larger uh, uh, center. It was located uh, some 30 miles southeast of the, of the Galilee. And these cities uh, were Greco-Roman cities and they were very pagan. And uh, the whole country or area where these cities were would have been identified with the people groups of these cities. But there was also a small town, uh, a small village known as uh, Gergiza, uh, located right on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And scholars have suggested uh, that they may, uh, well, that may well be the spot where these events took place. Now, as for the apparent discrepancy between uh, the Gerizines and the Gadarenes and so on, I think it's, uh, it's still common uh, to identify people ethnically with major centers close to where they live, and that's obviously what's going on here. Now, the Sea of Galilee at its widest point is about eight miles wide. Um, that's not a, a, you know, a long uh, distance probably by most standards. Um, but this land... This land of the Gadarenes or land of the Gerizines in the days of Jesus was referred to as a distant land. Take a look at this view from Capernaum with me. When, the, when Jesus and his disciples set out that day, they set out from, out from Capernaum. Because that's where Jesus did a lot of his teaching and a lot of his ministry and actually lived for a period of time in Capernaum. So as you look at this picture, you are standing on the shore by the ancient town of Capernaum and you're looking straight east across the Sea of Galilee and you can see in the picture the hills and cliffs of the Gadarenes or the Gerizines there in the sun. And it's a long ways away. Not so much physically a long ways away, but it was a spiritually distant land, a pagan land, a Greco-Roman pagan land. That spiritual distance is indicated here by the pigs in this story. Because you'll recall that pigs are an unclean animal, right? According to Jewish food laws. So when pigs show up in biblical stories, they always, uh, in, in the New Testament, uh, they show up in, in, in distant lands. And such as this case in the story of the, of the prodigal son. You may recall that in, in uh, Luke 15. It says that the, the, the son, the young son, went off and squandered his inheritance in a distant land and ended up eating the food of pigs. Now those references are to the, the land of the Decapolis. And uh, it was a big trip. Big trip to a distant land. For one tormented man. I want you to think about that with me if you would. 
Jesus went all that way that day for this one man. And have you considered why this man showed up on the shoreline that day? The demons recognized Jesus for who he was, but they didn't want anything to do with him. I think as much control as they had over this man to torment him and drive him and steal away his life, it would appear to me that he still had the power to come to Jesus. And that greatly, I don't know about you, but that greatly encourages me. I want to say to you today that you can have the kind of control that you want and that God wants for you to have if you will present and submit yourself at the feet of Jesus. Remember when the crowds came back to see what had happened? They found the man clothed, sitting in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. You may have problems because all of us do. But your problems may be severe. Maybe you're not as bad off as this man. But I can tell you, no matter what, what you need is Jesus. He is who you need. Because Jesus is against the devil. But he's for you. And he's for me. And you just need to come to him. And he has the authority to deal with all of your problems, no matter what they are. No matter if they're directly the result of demonic influence in your life, or whether they're indirectly the, the result of Satan's work and temptation in your life. Now, I can't allow us to miss the, the third point here that I want to, to, to make or, or, or want to th third thing I want to point out this morning as we, as we get, uh, finish up here. And, uh, and that is represented in the last two verses of this passage. And I want to read that together with you as we close. The man from whom the demons, this is verse 38 and 39. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. The third takeaway this morning from this account is that you have a story to tell. Now, you may not have been delivered the way this man was delivered. Um, you may not have been a, a case like his. You may not be a case like his. Perhaps you identify more with Peter or, or James or John or, or, or maybe you identify with the woman at the well or maybe somebody like Nicodemus. But here's the truth for us today that if you've come by faith to Christ, then you've been delivered by, from something. In fact, you've been delivered from a lot of things because sin comes in many forms, but all sin is a result of temptation and all sin is captivating and there is a progressive nature in that that leads us into some form of bondage. So if you have come by faith to Jesus Christ, For the forgiveness of your sins, 
and for deliverance from all the things that have assaulted you. You have a responsibility and you have a story to tell. You have a story to tell and you have a responsibility to tell that story. We are going to close today uh, in prayer. We're not going to be singing to finish our service today. We're just going to pray and then and then, then Josh is just going to send us away with his, with his uh, note. But uh, we're just going to pray together. And I want you to pray with me this morning. This topic this morning um, and this, this text is, is um, it might seem really heavy. And it's certainly um, an instance of a very, what we might consider an extreme case. But it's real. And, it's a ref- and it reflects a reality in this world. There are powers that be. And we are at war. And what's at stake is, well, the stakes are high. Because it's a battle for, for your life, for your soul. And Jesus has authority over the powers that be. And he is against the devil and his work in your life. But he's for you. And I'd like for you to pray for with me right now, if you would, please. Father in heaven, I thank you for all those who are, who are participating in this time together today and, and have been listening and going through the scripture. I pray for anyone and each one right now who is battling against spiritual forces and heavenly places and forces at work in their lives and maybe even right in their very hearts, I pray, Lord, that even right now you would bring deliverance, that you would break those chains and set the captive free as people come to you. I pray that those who are, who are um, held and, and, and assaulted by the, by the evil one today, that you would give them the faith to simply come to you and to bow and to submit to your authority and that you would give them peace and a sound mind, and the hope that is found in you uh, alone. I pray that in the authority of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I also pray today for those who have a story to tell, all of those who've come to you. Lord, help us to understand what it means to be witnesses for you. And tell the story of all of the great things that you have done in our lives. We thank you and we look forward to all that you're going to do as a result of your word to our hearts this day. And your work by your spirit in our lives going forward from this place for the praise of your glory. In Jesus name we pray together. Amen. Thank you once again for joining us for our online church experience this morning, spending this time with us and sharing the journey with us. Would you do yourself a favor and would you do us a favor? Would you subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss a video? And while you're there, you can check out all of the other great video content over the last several years. And then be sure to like us and follow our page on Facebook. The more that you get involved on social media, the more people get to see this video content and the further that 
that gospel message goes that we were able to preach today. Hit that notification bell so that you never miss a video again. It'll send a notification to your phone, to your email. You can click it and go. It's as simple as that. And then for all other information, you can go to our website, sharethejourney.ca. Make sure that you stay in touch, that you connect. If you haven't yet filled out that connect card that's pinned in the comment section below this video, just take a moment, fill out those short questions so that we can connect with you and we'll be able to share the journey with you. We hope that you are blessed this week.